This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate 175 episodes, we're going down under with Digger Harkness and his merry band of thieves. Join me for a brand new edition of Pitch It as I pitch Boomer's Big Score. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is our landmark episode 175. That is crazy. 175 episodes of this podcast. That's, man, that's wild. And uh, to celebrate this special occasion, we are, re- we are bringing back Pitch It. Pitch It, one of my favorite segments, and I know a fan favorite of listeners all over the place. Um, I love doing pitches. It's kind of how I um, got my start in geek conversations was you know pitching things pitching storylines pitching you know fan casts that kind of thing and so I always love the opportunity to kind of bring this segment back to the podcast and this one's pretty special because this is something I haven't done before which is a Captain Boomerang solo film and not only that it's a heist film two of my favorite things I'm combining for a pitch that I'm going to feature for you We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I talk to you about all the comics you should be picking up this week, and boy, do I have some stuff to talk about. But before I get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, and we've got lots of news to get through. So we're going to start things off with TV news, one piece of TV news that I am very excited about. Umbrella Academy. Umbrella Academy Season 3 is on its way, and it has officially wrapped production on said Season 3. We should hopefully see it either by the beginning of next year or maybe like early summer. But I have absolutely loved both seasons so far. The comic I've always been kind of blah on, but the show I think is a great translation and almost improvement on the comic it's itself. So I'm very excited to see, especially where the uh, show left off with that season two finale cliffhanger. I'm all in. Can't wait to get more information on this. Hopping over to film news. We have two pieces of film news, both, uh, that are very interesting. First off, Venom two might not be delayed. Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, we, Talked about in a previous episode that the uh, film has been pushed back to January, but now there are conflicting reports that may that it's not delayed. That Sony is like thinking about it. It's who knows at this point. Like I'm not really sure what the whole deal is with that, but 
We'll just have to see. Uh, we're going to get Venom 2 when we get Venom 2. So we'll just have to see about that. And then uh, for me, a big piece of news is Shang-Chi this week. Shang-Chi drops this week. I'm very excited. We have our tickets. I cannot wait to see this movie. I've been waiting a very long time uh, to see a Asian superhero movie that is getting the kind of mainstream attention that this film is. So hope you have your tickets. I have mine. If you feel comfortable with it, if you feel safe enough, please go see this movie in theaters. I really want this film to do well. And apparently I'm not the only one who wants it to, to do well. Apparently Marvel is taking a very close eye is keeping a very close eye on Shang-Chi and its performance when it comes to the box office. Uh, I think it helps that they're releasing it Labor Day weekend, which is great. It gives a lot of people a lot of opportunities to see it. Um, and apparently if the, uh, if the film does not do well, then they are going to push back Eternals. But I don't know. I think Shang-Chi is going to do great. I'm very excited. A lot of people are rooting for it. So we will just have to see. But I cannot wait to watch this movie. Very, very excited. Hopping over to miscellaneous news. Uh, two pieces of exciting news. One piece of sad news. Um, I'm going to talk about the sad news first because I just want to I just want to talk about it. Uh, this past week, uh, famed actor, longtime staple of Hollywood, whether you're talking about animation, live action, whatever, Ed Asner, unfortunately passed away this past week. He w- he had lived a full life, a very full life. He was an incredible talent. Uh, a lot of people know him for. A bevy of different roles. Um, Carl from Up. I was introduced to him as J. Jonah Jameson in the uh, Spider-Man animated series. And he's always been, he's just kind of always been there. Uh, Whether it was, you know, knowing that it was him, like with uh, Up, or whether it was like, oh my god, is that Ed Asner? So um, this was a tough, tough loss. But um, I'm just going to send my love, send my um, good vibes, I guess. I'm never good with wording these kind of things, but just thinking about Ed Asner's family, um, they put up a pretty touching tribute on his Twitter account, so I am... Like many of you, mourning the loss, and I hope that um, people remember him for a real long time, because he was an incredible talent, and he deserves to be remembered for that. Uh, Transitioning over, because I'm also really great at segues, um, two pieces of video game news. First off, Marvel's Avengers uh, released two... I think some surprise. A lot of people have been asking for it. A lot of people have been clamoring for it. But it was a nice surprise that with this week's patch, they have dropped the uh, Black Panther skin from the MCU. Specifically, his costume from the Black Panther movie Onward. Um, No uh, Civil War suit, which, I don't know, I've always had like a... I don't know. I've always kind of uh, gone back and forth on which suit I like better. But... It is pretty cool. Uh, They also dropped a Wakanda Forever emote alongside that. So if you're still playing Marvel's Avengers, if you have yet to start War for Wakanda, you can pick up the skin and you can play it as Black Panther from the MCU. So that was pretty touching. I thought that was really cool. Um, And then also in Marvel video game news, Midnight Suns. Midnight Suns was announced and subsequently we got not just a trailer, but also some gameplay for the film. Um... 
for the film, for the game, and it looks interesting. It is an XCOM-style strategy game from the same uh, developer as XCOM, and I am going to probably have some people shouting at me for this, but I've never played an XCOM game. Ugh, I know, but uh, the gameplay looks interesting. It uh, looks like it's based around cards for commands. It's going to be an RPG-style um, action strategy game, and it's dealing with a lot of the stuff that I like about the Marvel Universe, some of the grittier stuff, some of the lesser-known stuff. Uh, we're going to be able to play as Dr. Strange. Well, not technically. Your main character is called the Hunter, and the Hunter is customizable. Now, I say I'm going to say that with an asterisk because they said through the presentation that oh you know it's Marvel's first ever you know customizable hero and I'm like is it really is it and um, from what we saw from the because it's still in development but from what we saw from the footage the hunter is the child of Lilith who is a very deep Marvel spooky spooky cult cut uh, which I, I'm really excited about um, and it looks like you can you can customize her all we've seen is the female model uh, for the characters well the female voice no word from what I could tell on whether you can choose female or male but if it's a female character Hell yeah. The design looks cool. I like the customization abilities. Um, and it looks like you're going to be not just like doing missions and stuff, but also you're going to be palling around with these people. I kind of wish that it was like just like the Midnight Suns characters or like people in that realm because you get magic. You We finally get Ileana Rasputin as a playable character in a big old Marvel game. Uh, we also get, like, Blade, we get Doctor Strange, we get Ghost Rider, the Robbie Reyes version. So we're getting these characters that are normally associated with the occult corner of Marvel, but they're also throwing in characters like Wolverine, Captain America, Iron Man, Captain Marvel, which I'm not, I'm like, ah, it doesn't feel like a, like a, stay in your own lane, guys, but I understand that from a marketing standpoint, they're like, oh, we're going to have, you know, this unknown character and then these other characters who aren't, you know, in the MCU yet. So what's the point of this? We're also getting Nico. How could I forget Nico from the Runaways? Um, but it's I'm mostly going to be dealing with the occult style characters. It's going to be the first big Marvel game where Captain America is not going to be a priority for me. I know it's shocking, but I really am interested in this. Again, I've never played an XCOM game. I'm very interested in that. Um, I've always been fascinated in uh, with RPGs. I've always been a fan of RPGs, uh, but I'm wondering if it's like you know, if it's like a turn-based. It's if it's more strategy. So I will continue to learn about XCOM, XCOM-style games, and this just it looks cool, man. It looks really, really cool. Um, the designs are cool. I like the fact that you can customize your character. I like the fact that you can customize relationships because you're also going to be uh, dealing with characters outside of the missions, hanging out with them at your base and stuff like that. So I think that's cool. And I think that gives a, a different flavor for this game when you stack it up against games like uh like marvel's avengers or like uh ultimate alliance or like the the future evolution game that they just released on mobile 
it's it seems really interesting. I like that they're taking a big swing on it, and they do. Uh, they did say in the gameplay reveal that there are more characters to come. So fingers crossed for some Moon Knight action and also some Elsa Bloodstone. Give me some Elsa Bloodstone. Um, we'll just have to see, but I'm very excited. I think the game looks cool. The trailers have been cool, filled with songs that I can't download. Um, I like, I like, if I hear a cool song in a trailer, I instantly want to download it, and I haven't been able to find either of the songs that they, uh, used in the first two trailers that sound really, really cool, and they're really up my alley. Um, but yeah, hopefully we get characters like Elsa Bloodstone, Morbius, those kind of, you know, Moon Knight, those kind of darker characters, and hopefully we get a cool game that feels stylistically different from other Marvel games. Fingers crossed. But we're going to round things out with comic book news. First off, a big announcement from Marvel. They announced essentially their roadmap for the uh, next few months, pretty much for the rest of uh, 2021 into the beginning of 2022. So they're kicking things off with Devil's Reign, which sounds like it's going to be like a Daredevil event. I know uh, good brother Matt Draper is very excited about it right now. A Daredevil event in December? Are you kidding me? Um, It's a match made in heaven. Christmas has come early. But... We were all kind of wondering what was going to happen following the conclusion of the Zadarsky uh, Chichetto run in uh, in Daredevil at the I think I think it's supposed to be in October. Um, so now we kind of have our answer. We'll have to see what happens here. Devil's Reign uh, is by Zadarsky and Chichetto, uh drops in December. And from the looks of it, it's basically Kingpin versus New York. Uh, and that means Kingpin versus all of the, you know, more uh, street-level style New York heroes. And I'm sure dare- both Daredevils are going to be at the center of it. So I'm very excited about this. Also in December, we got the announcement for Avengers Forever by Jason Aaron and Aaron Cuter. I like that team. I haven't really loved the Avengers book, but... I think it's really uh, interesting what they're deciding to do here. They're going to be making a multiversal Avengers. Uh, so that's kind of what the um, kind of what the what if show is working on right now, or at least that's kind of what it seems like. But I'm interested to see what they do here. And then also in December, rounding things out is an event called Timeless. We have no idea what this means. Um, I can assume that Kang is going to be in the center of it because Kang's a big deal right now. Uh, Kang always deals with time. It's going to be put together by Jed McKay, Kev Walker, Mark Bagley, and that's it. No one else. But it looks like this is going to be kind of the big, like, next step, kind of like Marvel Comics 1000 was supposed to be. So we'll just have to see. I'm interested. Um, it's saying it's going to set the groundwork for whatever we go through next. And with events like Inferno, Travel Magneto also going on, uh, it's going to be real interesting. Uh, starting off in January, we are getting, speaking of the uh, Hickman X-Men, or I guess the post-Hickman X-Men, we are getting the 10 Lives of Wolverine slash 10 Deaths of Wolverine by Benjamin Percy, Josh Casera, and Federico Vincentini. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but uh, it looks like they are back. 
Oh, I hate, I hate, I hate saying this. I really do. Um, it looks like we're back to the pre-Hickman era of X-Men, where Wolverine or Bust. Um, I hope that's not the case. I know that Hickman had uh, has faith in everyone who's going to be staying on the X-Books uh, after Inferno, but it does feel a little odd that we're going to uh, going straight to a Wolverine event after he leaves. Very, very interesting. Um, but, I mean, that's really all we know. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see if, like, it ends up being the story of, like, how Wolverine dies in each of the uh, previous uh, timelines for Moira. Moira? Why was that so hard for me today? Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to see. Also in January, though, we're getting She-Hulk. Looks like Jennifer Walters is going to be getting back to her She-Hulk in ways. Uh, written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Roge Antonio. And, uh, yeah, I'm down for it. I'm down to see uh, Jennifer Walters kind of getting back to what made her so special in the first place. Uh, not that I don't think that she's been crushing it on the Avengers book. She's been one of the best parts from what I, what little bit I know about the book. But I am interested to see her kind of get back to basics when it comes to that. I hope she doesn't lose anything that she's gained over the last few years, but... I, I like quirky courtroom drama slash comedy with Jennifer Walters. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, also in January, we're getting the Fantastic Four Reckoning War. Reckoning War. Uh, written by Dan Slott with uh, art by Carlos Pacheco and Rachel Stott. And apparently this is going to be calling back all the way to the Secret Wars event. So who knows? Um... I don't know anything about this. I kind of dropped off the Dan Slott Fantastic Four book, but I've heard that it's been strong. So um, we'll just have to see. And then finally, I thought the weirdest and also kind of the coolest announcement out of this was uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. They're getting another book. We do know that an animated series is on the way. Perhaps this is to you know, uh, piggyback off of that. Uh, this is going to be in February, but the most interesting thing is that the creative team has not been announced. It is under wraps. We don't know who's coming in for this, uh, which is awesome because it gives us a world of possibilities on who could be on the creative team for this. And it also kind of makes me think that this is going to be a bigger deal than just another Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur adventure. But... Uh, nobody knows, which is exciting. I don't know what's going to happen, and we will just have to find out. And then finally, for uh, comic book news and wrapping up the news segment here, DC Fandom is coming back after the success of last year's event, which I thought was fantastic, personally. Um, DC Fandom will be dropping on October 16th and is going to be in the kind of same vein as last year's event and it's going to be featuring all of the stuff that is currently going on with DC Comics and all the stuff we can look forward to. We're going to be getting more Gotham Knights stuff, we're going to be getting more movie stuff, we're going to be getting more cartoon stuff. So lots of things to look forward to. I thought DC Fandom was excellent last year and I hope that they, if not top it at least get up to the same quality of the event and of the stuff that was shown from uh 2021 so i'm very excited about it looking forward to seeing what they do 
But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of DC Comics, that's going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of episode 175, where I pitch Boomer's Big Score, A Rogue's Tale. So I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, It has been a while since I have done a pitch, um, especially like just kind of a focused pitch like this. I am very excited to share this. Uh, For our landmark 175th episode, I wanted to make something special, and I have had this... I've had this idea in my head for a very long time. You know, I've always been a fan of Captain Boomerang, and I've always wanted to see him get, like, a dedicated story, because he's always fun in other stories and other character stories, whether it be The Flash, um, a general villain's book, or even, you know, The Suicide Squad. But I've always wanted something that really feels like a Captain Boomerang story. And so today... In this episode, episode 175, I am presenting to you Boomer's Big Score, A Rogue's Tale. Um, I, I, I like tacking on that A Rogue's Tale because I think it would be cool to have like a series of films kind of in the same vein of like a Star Wars story, but having it just with stories of criminals in the Flash's Rogue's Gallery. Plus, I think the uh, the logo I came up with is really fun. So uh, feel free to check that out. Um, I am very excited about this, and I want to uh, just kind of give some background on it before I dive into the pitch itself. Um, some inspirations that I took in putting this story together uh, from the comics, obviously, if you couldn't already tell Selena's big score I had some influence on uh, I've reread a lot of Captain Boomerang's stories uh, a lot of his stuff in the Suicide Squad especially the Ostrander and the uh, Taylor runs he only pops up for a little bit in the uh, Tom Taylor Suicide Squad but he makes such an impression I wish he had stuck around with that more uh, when it comes to films Ocean's Eleven Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, surprisingly enough. Uh, Fast Five, Logan Lucky. I rewatched Logan Lucky before getting down and like writing out the last few um, chapters of this. So if you, it it was a big inspiration for me. I love, I love heist films, and I love that film. I love Logan Lucky. It's such a fun movie. Um, from TV, uh, Justice League Unlimited, I like the grounded yet ridiculous uh, tone that that show has. Um, specifically, the Task Force X episode, which every time I rewatch it, it goes further up in my like favorite episodes list. It's a near perfect episode. Just missing out on it not being a perfect episode by not having a sequel or not giving us a full-on series with these characters. Um, But I love that episode to death. Uh, And then music. A lot of the music that kind of went into this, because as you know, if you've listened to this, to me, talk about literally anything, uh, music is a big influence on me, and especially when it comes to how I tell stories. And for this one, it might be a weird uh, choice, but... 
a lot of uh, classic jazz and rock and roll went into this. And you'll hear it as I go along with this pitch. I do have music cues and needle drops because I'm a professional. Uh, but yeah, a lot of like Sinatra, Chuck Berry, uh, Dean Martin. So I, I like that. It kind of harkens back to like that old school heist uh, style, and that old school heist flavor. So those are kind of my inspirations when it comes to ground rules for this, something you should just know going into the story. Uh, this is a Captain Boomerang solo story. This is going to be featuring him, starring him. Um, it is going to be the Digger Harkness version of the character, the best version of the character, the only version of the character. Uh, there won't be any other like big time villains here, so no other like big rogues, no you know Captain Cold, Heat Wave, that kind of thing, though there might be a few surprises here and there uh no superheroes as antagonists that is a big thing for me there will no be there will no be there will not be any kind of big uh superhero supervillain dust-ups this is going to be something a little different something off the beaten path uh this is going to be kind of a one-shot story something that you can just tell it's complete from beginning middle and end and you can put it on a shelf uh, I really, again, I wanted to take inspiration from, like, a Rogue One, a Solo, like, those kind of, like, they stay in their own lane. Um, and then, ultimately, this is a heist story. So whether this ends up, you know, whether this is a film, whether this is a comic book, whether it's whatever, this is a heist story from start to finish. Uh, and my goals for wanting to tell the story, um, really, again, give Captain Boomerang a great story to tell that's just his own. Not as part of the rogues, not as part of the Suicide Squad, something just for him. Uh, I wanted to dive a little bit into Digger's backstory, though I did change it around a little bit. He's, he's, he's no longer a failed toy manufacturer's son. Um, also kind of give him a fresh take on Captain Boomerang that maybe we haven't seen before, though he's not, he's still going to be a scumbag, uh, which leads in the next one, which is, you know, I want the audience to empathize with Digger without them, uh, without changing his character because at his heart, Digger Harkness is a son of a bitch. He is a terrible person, um, who deserves everything that he gets. And I want to get people to tell I want to get people invested in him without maybe wanting to see him win. So we'll see. Uh, and ultimately, as with all of my pitches, I want to tell a good story. Um, I want this to entertain. I want this to be fun. And I want you to enjoy it. So without further ado, let's dive into it. I have it as a classic three-act structure. Um, so this is Boomer's Big Score, A Rogue's Tale. Act 1, Johnny Be Good. So we start off in 1995 in a little town in southern Australia. Uh, we open up on these huddled kids inside of a warehouse. These, you know, they're obviously homeless. They're dirty. They're some of them aren't wearing shoes. They've been on the streets for a while. These are your classic old school 90s street urchins. Um, all of these kids are kind of huddled up in the center of the warehouse and they are finalizing a plan that they've been working on for weeks you know they mention you know they've got these little stick drawings in the dirt of like the town of like the um of the streets the surrounding area the neighborhood everything uh they also mentioned that you know yeah the gold bars are in the back of the car that's going to be where we want to focus our attention and then as the 
kids are getting into, you know, the specifics of the plan, one kid shows up late. He's got a little, he's got a big backpack, he's got a little disc man that he's listening to, and he pops the, you know, uh, headphones off, and we're introduced to George. This little kid, Georgie, uh, sets his backpack down, he's like, yeah, whatever, I'm late, I'm late, um, gets into the huddle, and we're introduced to three of our leads. Uh, we have uh, Georgie, Donald, and Cassie. George and Donald are brothers. Cassie is very close to both of them. They are all 10 years old. Uh, these 10-year-olds, these old 10-year-old street urchins are integral to this plan succeeding. It's basically been George's plan. George was the one that heard about this. George has been mapping this out, and of course, he's the one that's late. So, as they are describing what they're going to be doing, you know, they set some ground rules here. George is going to be running point on acquiring the asset. Donald's going to be handling the payload. He's going to be handling the escape. He's going to be handling the retrieval. And they are going to get these gold bars out of this car. Uh, as they, you know, are mapping this out, it is made very clear that the leader of this little merry band of misfits and bandits, whose name is Jack, is very skeptical of this plan. He doesn't believe in George. He doesn't trust George. And George is like, look, trust me, I've got a plan. Nope, I'm not going to do an Australian accent. I can't. It's not great. Maybe I'll do it as we go along. I don't know. But as they are getting set, they are, you know, George is doing his best to get these kids on his side. They hear commotion out on the streets, and we pan out to this crowded street that are watching as this limo is coming through the somewhat narrow streets with police escorts on each side. And as this limo comes to a specific point in the street, these kids spring into action. One of the kids runs out in front of the limo and just faints. Faints right in front of the limo. Limo stops. Doors open, a man steps out, his face is hidden, we can't really see him, but we do see that there he is armed to the teeth with guards. Like, three other guys step out of the limo to, like, come with him and check on this kid. This kid's like, oh, you know, my, you know, it's, it's so hot, and all this stuff. Uh, while checking on the kids, one of the escorts who is standing next to the open door that the man who was riding the limo... Uh, looks, you know, happens to glance because he hears a little bit of rustling in the uh, inside the limo itself. And we get this great shot where he looks in and we just see George, wide-eyed, backpack open, gold bars halfway into the bag. And there's, they make this eye contact and time stands still for a second. As soon as the guard starts to say, what are you, George just shuts the backpack and shouts, scatter! He tumbles out of the limo, chaos ensues. He tumbles out of the limo with the backpack and is pursued straight into the crowd. He runs into the crowd, uh, backpack slung over his shoulder, at least three to five guards following him, right? George makes it through the crowd to this group of kids all dressed exactly the same. They've all got little beanies, they've all got little jackets that are obviously like patchworked and everything, but they're all dressed more or less the same. And as he gets into the center of this group of like 12 kids, they all scatter in different directions with 
Cassie running in one direction with some of the other kids, other kids running in different directions, and Jack, Donald, and George all running in the same direction. Jack being the leader, Donald being in charge of the payload, George, you know, having the initial uh, backpack filled with gold bars, right? So they all are running, they're scattering, they're going. As they are running throughout the streets, we're getting, you know, this you know panning shot of them being pursued by these guards and ultimately they're pursued down this alleyway that ends up being a dead end with a big old fence jack jack be nimble jack be quick jack hops over this fence with ease like ridiculous ease with how small he is and george gets ready to jump but he realizes jack is very nimble and donald is a bit overweight he's a big kid uh, he can't make it over this fence. This is, isn't going to happen. Um, George has at this point passed the backpack off to Donald. Donald is like, uh, I don't know, like, I can't make it over this. And he's like huffing and puffing. And Jack is immediately like, Donald, just toss the backpack over the fence and then we can go. You know, so you, it won't be weighing you down. And Donald's like, ah, I don't know. And George is like, no, we're not doing this. You're just going to run off with it. And Jack's like, no, I would never do that. Come on, we're a team. I'm your leader. Let's do this. Ultimately, Donald decides to toss the backpack over the fence to Jack. Jack catches the backpack with a whoo as it hits his arms. And then he grins. And he says, hey, look, I didn't want to do this. Nope, not doing it. Um, he says, I hate this to be the way that you're finding out, but the two of you are done. Two of you are done in the crew. You know, George, you're too dumb. Donald, you're too slow. Sorry. Slings the backpack over his shoulder, runs off, right? And at that very moment, security runs up on the kids. Jack and, or, uh, George and Donald are, like, terrified because these guys are big. They've got guns. And... At that point, George says, you know, Jack's our leader, he's our leader, he's got the backpack. So the uh, the security guard jumps over the uh, jumps over the uh, fence. One of them like kicks George in the stomach and then follows and then all of the security head over the fence and pursue Jack, right? So Donald goes to help George up, and as he does, George is laughing. He's smiling, he's grinning. Security catches up to Jack. They, like, trip him, they, you know, hit him a couple times, they open the backpack, and they find it filled with one gold bar and a bunch of rocks. Just a bunch of rocks. It was the same backpack that Donald, or uh, that George had come in with earlier, and as it cuts back over to George, George opens up his jacket to reveal that the rest of the gold bars were stuffed into his pockets, he was stuffed into his sleeves, stuffed into his shoes, stuffed into his pants, and the two of them run off, grinning, Donald is just, like, amazed by George's ingenuity, and George, you know, tells him, you know, DTA, don't trust anybody, don't trust a single person, the only person you can trust is yourself. And he says, as they're running, no matter how deep a hole we're in, I can always dig us out. Boom. 25 years later. So we cut to 25 years later and we catch up with Donald, who has grown up. He's an adult now. This man is 35. He is working a dead end job at a casino called the Spider's Web. He's still living in the same town that he was that they were in in the opening scene, and this town is finally given a name, 
Korumbura. Korumbura is a real town, and it is also the town that in the comics has always been tied to Captain Boomerang's origin. So this is where mo- this is where pretty much the entire film is set. And so as we are catching up with Donald, we're establishing where he's at right now. We're establishing Korumbura and its kind of status quo. Uh, Donald is, like I said, working a dead-end job. He kind of hates his life. He's very, you know, everything's been kind of boring. He's living with Cassie, who has also grown up, and she has a 10-year-old son named Owen. And the two of them are living together, but they're not like... They're like friends, right? So they're not romantically entwined, but the two of them have been living together for a while. They were childhood friends. And so the two of them are living in this rundown apartment with Cassie's son, Owen, and Korumbura, which is established through this shot of uh, Donald driving to or driving from work uh, in this big truck that he has. Korumbura uh, is a small town surrounded by rolling hills. Uh, it's definitely f- just from comparatively from the town in the flashback to the opening scene to now, it is in definitely worse shape. And that is l- in large part due to it being ruled over by the Weaver clan. Now, the Weaver clan is this just family of scumbags, thieves, and 'er ne'er-do-wells. And they've kind of got Korumbura by the balls. They have an iron grip on the town. And due to this, they are also in charge of the two biggest attractions in the town, which are the basketball stadium, as well as the Spider's Web Casino, where Donald works. And so they kind of run things, they've kind of run the town into the ground while making tons of money, not just off of the casino and the basketball uh, stadium, but also through underhanded dealings, arms dealings, stuff like that. Uh, So... Donald gets back to the, uh, gets off work, drives back. We get this, you know, establishing, you know, montage of Korumbura, uh, kind of setting things up. And he gets back to the apartment, says hi to Cassie, says hi to little Owen, who is 10 years old. And, uh, as he's just kind of complaining generally about, you know, everything going on, Cassie says, Hey, you know, yeah, it sucks, but could be worse. Could be digger. Boom, we hard cut to George, who's all grown up as well, now known as Digger Harkness in Iron Heights Penitentiary on the outskirts of Central City. We get, as he's, you know, living his life inside the prison, he is just doing his thing, living his life. We get little cameos by characters kind of in the same vein as, like, the Suicide Squad, the James Gunn Suicide Squad movie, where we get, like, little cameos. Like, we got, you know, cameos from all kinds of little characters. We got cameos by Ragdoll. We got cameos by The Fiddler, The Top, Girder, all those Z-list characters that everyone wants to see. But as we are kind of establishing Digger, he is on a he is on his first year of two life sentences <laughs> due to multiple crimes and being apprehended by he who shall not be named. Um and as we kind of get into settled in as we get settled into the prison scene, uh, Digger is sitting in the mess hall next to the only man who will spare the time to sit next to him, James Jesse, a.k.a. the Trickster. And the Trickster is very much the same, um, the same 
I would say characterization as like the trickster from JLU, uh, the episode Flash and Substance, also one of my favorites, and a great episode for the Rogues. Um, he's a little fidgety. He's definitely you know dealing with some stuff, and he's like, oh man, wow, yeah, blah blah blah. But he's also like incredibly bored. He's like prison life sucks, and he can't do anything fun. And so as they're sitting there, they're kind of commiserating on being apprehended, you know, living out their life in prison. A TV nearby shows that the world champion just having won the final Central City Bolts basketball team is heading to Australia for a big-time exhibition tour since they just won the world title in the uh, in the Metropolis Basketball League, I know. Um, they are now heading to Australia in preparation of the Olympics that are going to be happening uh, in the next couple of years. And so they're going to be doing a whole tour playing against the best basketball teams that Australia has to offer. And during this uh during this new segment that Digger has suddenly taken an interest in watching, he notices that one of the towns that they are going to be, you know, swinging by, though not going through, is Korumbura. And in this moment, a light bulb comes on in Digger's head, and he gets an idea. An awful idea. A big, terrible, awful idea. And he turns to Jesse and he says, Mate, Nope, not doing it. That favor that you owe me, I'm calling it in. And you see Jesse's eyes go wide and he grins a big ol' grin. Smash cut to chaos in the prison. Stuff is on fire, riots are going on, confetti is everywhere, we're seeing exploding jack-in-the-boxes. In the background, you hear a guard go, how did he smuggle an exploding pogo stick in here? And then you hear James Jesse just cackling in the distance with the like a pogo sound going off and explosions. It's wonderful. And as all this chaos is going on, there's a sweeping shot of, like, the chaos in the prison, rogues all over the place. We slowly pan into Digger Harkness's cell, and you can see, you know, different maps, you can see, um, you know, dirty sheets and all this stuff, and it kind of settles on this big ol' Frank Sinatra poster. And as the chaos is going on, you know, the rumblings and everything, the poster slips off the wall and then falls to reveal a large hole that Digger has dug. Shawshank Redemption style. He has dug this hole out of the Central City Prison, and as we just pan into the hole, it cuts. Cuts to black, and we get a few weeks later. We cut back to Korumbura. It's been a few weeks since the escape of Digger Harkness from the central city, uh, from Iron Heights Penitentiary, and we are cutting back to Donald. Donald is just having another shit night working as the working as a cashier at the Spider's Web Casino. And during this shit shift, he is called into the head office, and it is here that we are introduced to Hammerfang. That's his real name in the comics, look him up. Uh, Hammerfang is the heir apparent to the Weaver Clan, the only begotten son of the patriarch of the Weaver Clan, and he is more or less in charge of running the day-to-day operations of not just the spider's web, but really the entire town. And so he is... 
you know, lambasting Donald, just saying, like, your performance sucks, like, blah, 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 but taunting him, not really, like, being uh, constructive with his criticism, just talking shit, because he knows he can, he knows he runs the town, and he can talk to people how he likes, and at a certain point, he makes a passing reference to that deadbeat brother of yours leaving you, and Donald immediately perks up, and he's like, that kind of sets him off. And as Donald is getting berated, he starts yelling back. He starts biting back at Hammerfang's uh, prodding, and Hammerfang's a little taken aback by this. But he stays in control. He's this big hulking man, and he kind of he grins and he says, "Look, you don't get to talk to me that way. I own this town, and I own you." And if you want to talk to me like that, then maybe we should do something about your situation here. Here, not just meaning at work, but also here meaning in the town. So, Donald is just distressed. He is living a life that he hates. So he goes back, leaves, clocks out, we see him finish out his shift, and then he goes to get a drink at Burra Brew, which is this bar uh, near the middle of town. And after his shift, he's sitting at the bar, he's drinking, and he offhandedly gets into an argument with some guys who are noted weaver associates. Weaver thugs, we'll call them. Uh, These weaver thugs are being just assholes to everyone in the bar, and Donald decides to say something about it, because he's a little toasted, and the two, you know big guys get into an argument with Donald, and Donald is not stepping down, he's he's a little wasted, so he's, you know, got that liquid courage, and as things are kind of taking a turn, as it looks like these guys are gonna get a little heated, four guys get up, so now it's six on one, everyone is interrupted by a familiar voice. And it slowly pans down to the bar, and we get introduced to Drunk Digger Harkness. The best style of Digger Harkness. All decked out, he's got his boomerang beanie on, the trench coat. He is toasted to high heaven. He is drunk, he has made his way from America back down to Australia. And he is just, sorry his words, nope, not gonna do it. Um... Digger, you know, insults these guys, insults their manhood, insults the Weaver clan. And as this guy, you know, one of the uh, Weaver thugs looks over to him and gets ready to, you know, take his bottle and smash it on the bar, it suddenly slices in half. The bottle just slices in half, clean as a whistle. The bottom half falls to the floor and breaks, and we cut to this a boomerang. Digger catches it, slides it into his jacket, and he just grins and he says, guess we're doing this. And so he jumps in, jumps one of the guys, and the melee begins. We get a nice little barroom brawl. Donald and Digger versus these guys. They're just going off. Tables are breaking. People are getting tossed over the bar. One guy gets tossed out of the window. Oh shit, it's Digger. Digger has to climb back in the window, and the melee ensues. Eventually, Donald and Digger gain the upper hand over these six guys, and they are, you know, not just 
Digger using his fists, but also boomerangs to knock people off balance. He is very skilled, but he's also very drunk, so he is constantly off balance, getting uh, surprised and beat down. But eventually, they all are defeated. Donald and Digger win the night, and the guys go scurrying off into the night air. The two of them are breathing heavy, standing back to back. And Digger turns around, and he's like, hey, and he holds up a high five, and Donald responds by punching him right in the jaw and knocking him out. From here, we get a cut back to the main office of the Spider's Web Casino, and we get our introduction to the uh, aforementioned head of the Weaver Clan, Daddy Longlegs. He is the head of the Weaver Clan, he is the big kahuna in Korumbura, and he runs this town. At this very moment, he is sitting in the main office observing the security screens that are set up throughout the office, uh, checking out, keeping an eye on all of the casino floors, and as he is observing everything, the grunts from the bar bust in, and they're just like, oh my god, this, this is a terrible thing happened, Hammerfang kind of waddles in, and they tell Hammerfang and Daddy Longlegs about the incident at the bar, about how this guy, Donald, you know, your, your cashier boy, your checkout boy, it, you know, got in a fight with us, and there was this guy there who knew him, blah, 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 all this stuff, and one of them pipes up. He's like, yeah, it looks like Digger Harkness. And immediately, Daddy Longlegs is like, no. He'd never come back here. There's there's no way that it would be him. And we also see that his, his mind is focused elsewhere. And as we come to find out, Digger is not the only person who is interested in the big-time... Central City Bolts tour through Australia. Danny Longlegs is also very interested in this tour because betting is a big thing at casinos. I don't know if you know that, but betting on sports is even bigger. And at a scummy casino like the Spider's Web, betting on a big sports event could be very, very beneficial for them. So uh, we cut away back to Digger waking up in an unknown apartment. He wakes up and he sees Donald sitting on an opposite couch, just kind of like glaring at him. And the two of them have this really tense conversation where Digger's still coming off a hangover, being knocked out the whole deal. Um, they reference that Digger has been gone for about 10 years. He left 10 years ago. And they talk about, you know, what are you doing back here? You, you haven't been, you know... You haven't caught up with anybody. You haven't said anything. You've been off in America being some kind of whack job. And Digger is like, it's a whack job. Like, I'm I'm somebody. I'm a big deal. And Donald's like, people don't even know your name here. Like, And they, they're just having, like, this really just tense, like, bitter conversation back and forth. And at a certain point, you know, offhandedly, Donald says, you know, have you gone to see her yet? And Digger just scoffs at him. He's like, no, why would I do that? And at that moment, Cassie arrives, and she arrives with Owen. Now, Owen is a uh, little redheaded boy. He's very inquisitive. He's very, you know, fun. And 
he bears a striking resemblance to the Harkness brothers. Very odd, if you ask me. Uh, but as soon as Cassie arrives, she sees Digger, and it gets even more tense. Things are not great, and she is completely like not having it. Doesn't want to talk to him. Immediately, just goes next in or uh, passes by him. Goes in the kitchen. And Owen goes and plays, and Digger is, like, weirded out by this whole scene. He's like, wait, the two of you are living together? And Owen's like, yes, it's, you know, more affordable this way. All all of the, you know, general things that, all the reasons that everyone, you know, here in L.A. lists for getting a roommate. Um, eventually, Owen goes to bed, and Digger calls a meeting with Donald and Cassie. Neither of them really wanting to talk to him, but... He's like, I have something important to say. I'm going to, you know, I just want you to listen. And he explains that the Bolts are coming to a nearby city to finish their tour in seven days. One week from now, their last game of the tour, it is going to be nearby here. And knowing that, knowing how the city is run after being here for a day or two, this city runs through, it stops and ends, or it starts and stops at the casino, at the spider's web. And the casino is hoping to make big money with betting on the game. And so Digger says, this is the perfect opportunity to rob the spider's web. Donald dismisses it. He's like, this is... You're an idiot. Like, we were kid criminals. We have to be adults now. We have to live actual lives. You're an idiot. You're a child. I'm going to work. Donald heads over to work, heads over to the spider's web, and immediately when he gets there, is called into the head office. So he goes in, and Hammerfang, after, you know, being this smug little shit, fires Donald. Fires him on the spot, says, look, you know... When you, you know, are out and about, you represent the spider's web, and I can't have my employees getting into bar fights. You know, this is just unacceptable. You can't be, you know, getting into fights with people. And so he fires him. He's, you know, having a joyous time because, once again, Hammerfang's a dick, and he is an asshole, and he is taking pleasure in Donald getting fired. And so... Uh, Donald is just distraught by this, and as he's heading out, Hammerfang says, Hey, I heard, uh, heard somebody might be in town, so tell that deadbeat brother of yours, the Weavers, say hello. And Donald realizes that this is all due to bullshit. You know, they're taking glee and ending his livelihood, because... Regardless of there being other like stores and shops in the town, the weavers run the town. So if they don't want you to work, you can't work. So as Donald is driving back through the night, he is getting progressively more angry and more frustrated. And it is showing on his face. And so the door, we cut over to the apartment. The door busts open. Donald shuts the door behind him, sees Cassie and, and Digger who are just, you know, kind of taken aback by this and he says this world these motherfuckers i'm trying i'm trying to stay away from it but I, it just keeps happening so that is the end of act one act two ain't that a kick in the head
So we kick this thing off with a team building montage. It's montage time, my favorite. So as we go into this, they realize, okay, we're gonna need a team. Who do we got? So they start to build this team, bringing in former members of their little merry band of lost boys and girls, as well as one notable DC villain. And as they are setting up this team, they are establishing the roles. Digger is a lockpick slash vault cracker. He is able to get into any lock that he can, or any lock that is available, and he is known for being an expert vault cracker. Donald has the inside knowledge of the Spider's Web Casino. He is able to unite people, he's able to lead them, and he's able to do all of the planning. Also, he has a big old truck, so he is going to be their getaway driver. Cassie is a skilled pickpocket, and she has, from her years being in the kids' crew, she has become one of the, regardless of how out of practice she may be, she is an expert at getting things off of people and not having them know that she's lifted it. We also have two members from the former kids' crew that are a little suspect. So first, we have the return of Jack. Jack, the former leader of the kids' crew, they bring him in. Donald and Digger are not, not super thrilled about this, but Cassie reminds them that Jack is a skilled escape artist, and he is able to get himself out of situations quickly and efficiently. So they are going to need someone who can get in and out easily. They also bring in Maybelline LaCroix, who is a demolitions expert. She has been all around the country, all around the continent of Australia, setting off heists, going blowing things off their hinges, has more or less, you know, been a major part of several distinct heists throughout the country. So they bring her in off of the connection between uh, Cassie and Jack. And then finally, one more linchpin, one more role needs to be filled, and Digger has it covered. So he gets flown in from the United States, one William Talkman. That's right, baby! Clock King! Clock King is their tech and surveillance expert, able to time heists and crimes to the millisecond. And they're gonna need a tech guy, and William Talkman's the man, who can also be brought in quickly and efficiently because of his relatively low uh, infamy level in the States. And so the team comes together, they have their first meeting back in the old warehouse formerly used by the kid crew, and in this initial meeting everyone's kind of coming in, it's very fast five where everyone's like coming in one at a time, and literally every single time someone comes in and sees Digger they're like, oh god. And so it's it's kind of a gag where it's like, you know, one person comes in, hey Grace. Hey, great. Nice to see you. Oh, God, is that Digger Harkness? And so it's it's one of those things where no one likes Digger. No one wants to work with him because he's a terrible human being. But he is just like, he's so happy with himself that he's getting this plan together. And during this, uh, Maybelline, who has maybe the least amount of, um, maybe the least amount of, uh, experience with Digger because she came into the kid crew after Digger and uh, Donald had been ousted from the group. Her and Digger flirt a little bit, and we see this weird, uh, this weird interaction where they're 
you know, flirting a little bit, and Cassie seems to be hurt. And we touch on the fact that they kind of were an item at one point when they were younger. And so this visibly, like, frustrates Donald, who is like, hey, can we get back on, can we get back on, uh, can we, can we just focus up, please? Because everyone's uncomfortable, let's just do this. Um... Donald is also very uneasy about bringing in Jack because he remembers how Jack treated them way back when they were kids. But Cassie's like, look, he's changed. He's gotten better. We're not, he's not going to give us up. You know, he's not, you know, he is, we need him. And so as they all come together, they kind of lay out what the plan will be. So for all big time events, all big time uh, betting events, the Spider's Web, like many casinos, will have all money on site for the night of the game, for the influx of uh, people who are going to be betting on said game. The nearby John Kane Arena in Melbourne is going to be hosting the game. Now, Melbourne is not super far away from Corumbura, but it is very far away from where they need everything to be kind of going on. So the plan is they need to get this game, this huge game for the Central City Bolts and their final stop on their promotional exhibition tour in Australia, they need to get this game from this gigantic John Kane Arena into the little bitty basketball stadium here in Corumbura. And the goal is, sequentially, get the game to Corumbura, get into the spider's web, get money. So, very simply, that's the plan. And so we get this nice little second montage heist prep going on with uh, everyone kind of making the preparations happen to get this, uh, get all the pieces in place to make sure that this heist can be pulled off. So we see Digger and Maybelline working together to blow up half of John Kane Arena. They, they just, they go to Melbourne and they blow up the arena. Uh, the entire arena is supposed to blow up. However, Digger screws it up. Digger screws it up. Only half of it goes off. They, you know, we get this nice shot of like Maybelline and Digger kind of standing next to each other with the detonator, the uh, arena in the background, and half of it just up in flames. The other half is still kind of standing, and May just kind of like looks over Digger, and Digger's like pressing the button, and he's like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to, oh, oh. And so like. Digger's a screw-up. Digger sucks. But, so, it does the job. It gets the job done. Talkman ends up hacking into the team's itinerary once, you know, word spreads that the John King Arena is off the table. And he arranges the redirect to Korumbura. So, as the week goes on and as the days pass towards when this game is supposed to take place, fans and tourists alike start flooding into Korumbura. Now, this town is, you know, a fair, a fairly, you know, good-sized town, but it's nowhere near the size of some, some place like Melbourne. And the Central City Bolts are a huge attraction. So this town is overrun by tourists, by fans, by people coming from out of town, all over the place. And because of this, Weaver security is stretched thin. Because, again, the Weavers run the whole town, so they own cops, they own security, they are everywhere. And due to this, they are overwhelmed. They are not prepared for the amount of people that are coming into the town. Over this course of this, you know, heist uh, montage going on, we do see that Digger is bonding with Owen a little bit. 
right in between all this. You know, Digger is showing off Owen, you know, his boomerangs from his jacket and from his little, um, what do you call it, his little boomerang bandolier. And Cassie is very unnerved by this. And during this as well, we also see shots of Donald mapping out the inside of the casino, you know, showing everyone, you know, weak points in the structure, access codes, vault location, where to get these access codes. Uh, we do see Cassie and Jack doing recon on the casino, marking new access points, security, uh, security routines, all this stuff. And while this is all going on as well, we do get that classic digger arranges for a duplicate of the vault to be delivered to the warehouse so that he can practice on it. Uh, it's an old school style vault. Digger has not a lot of practice with it. He's used to... Uh, the more modern style vaults, but because the Weaver clan is very old school in the way they do things, this is one of your classic style vaults that needs to be broken into by hand. There is no hacking into this vault. So there is little shots during this montage of Digger, you know, practicing on how to break into this vault. Cassie is kind of like watching him, both bemused and kind of like... Jeez, this guy. So, while this is all going on as well, we get one of my favorite sequences in heist movies, the laying out of the plan. Like, what the actual heist plan is going to be. And so, the heist plan is as thus. So, Talkman is going to cover surveillance, security systems, and timing, making sure that everyone is going according to plan, uh, going to be covering surveillance, hacking into it, all that stuff. Digger, Jack, and Cassie are going to be the floor team. They're going to head into the casino from the front. Cassie, using her pickpocketing skills, is going to be swiping key cards from security from throughout the floor. Jack, once they get past the first uh, security checkpoint, is going to use his acrobatic skills to get past the security measures and shut them off from the other side. And once they are able to get to the vault, Digger's going to break into the vault. Meanwhile, Donald and Maybelline are going to enter through the sewer system, through this, you know, big old um, pipe that, you know, they're going to drive the truck up, have that at the uh, at the opening of this, I don't even know what you call it, this, you know, those giant sewer, sewage access tunnels. Um, they're going to make their way through because Donald can't be on the floor team but he's going to use his expertise and you know help them map all their way through the sewer system to where the vault room would be maybelline is going to use her uh, detonation skills to blow an access point into the vault room from below and donald once uh everybody has gotten their uh gotten all the money that's in the vault are going Donald's going to lead them out through the sewer system, through the tunnels, back to the truck, and they're going to make a clean getaway. So that is the plan. However, as they are doing more surveillance, as they are getting, you know, the uh, getting the plan together, getting the heist together, they see that there's one last hitch. Because isn't there always? There's one last hitch. There's been a new added layer of security that they didn't count on that Donald had you know forgotten because he doesn't normally go that deep into the vault there is a palm print scanner there is a palm print scanner to get into the vault room itself so you need the palm print of either of one of the head members of the Weaver clan Hammerfang or Daddy Longlegs however Hammerfang is 
throwing a party to welcome the Central City Bolts to Korumbura. So he has this little shindig going on to welcome this, you know, famous American team into the town prior to the game. So Digger and May decide to attend the party because, of course, we have to have that sequence of Digger and May going to this party dressed to the nines. Digger, very sloppy, of course, but May is dressed to the nines. They get in, and the plan once they get into this party is that Digger, being someone who the Central City Bolts would be aware of, he will attract attention. And once he gets into the party, that is exactly what he does. He attracts attention. You know, people are, like, really put off by him, surprised to be there. The Central City Bolts look at him, and they are traumatized because he once robbed a game in progress and took out one of their star players in a previous season on the on his way out of, the, of trying to rob the stadium. And so they're like, oh, my God, blah, 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 this guy, Captain Boomerang. And meanwhile, Maybelline uses her uh, powers of deception, we'll say, to infiltrate and connect with Hammerfang to get the palm print. So everything goes off without a hitch. Uh, Digger causes a scene, gets into a fist fight with a couple, <laughs> a couple of security guards before ultimately slipping out and escaping. May gets the palm print, and we are off to the races, which brings us to the night before the heist. Heistmas Eve, if you will. And the team are drinking in the warehouse. They are Everything is prepped, everything is ready to go. They are having one last little planning session slash drinking session before the heist is to go off in the next day and so they're having a little banter back and forth they're you know just you know teasing each other um it's very uh age of ultron after party scene uh, I really want to connect all these people together, really get them to kind of, uh, if not like each other, be on the same page at least. Uh, Talkman ends up calling it an early night because of course he does. He's like, you know, I have to be up in 8 hours, 45 minutes, and 3 seconds, and so I am going to head to bed. Uh, Jack is elsewhere. He's finishing up some last minute prep, making sure the tunnel is clear for the next, uh, for the next day so that they can have an uh, have their way out and digger is showing off his boomerang skills you know toss the boomerang around showing different types of boomerangs he's like this is a boomerang this is a boomerang like all these dumb like gimmicky boomerangs there's like it's like an oil slick boomerang and like a a rubber boomerang or like a smoke boomerang all of this dumb stuff and while all of this is going on, we're getting these nice moments where Cassie and Donald are, you know, giving each other looks. You know, they've been living together for some years, they've been childhood friends, and maybe feelings have developed. Who knows? May uh, is very interested in this whole boomerang thing, and she's like, you know, why, why, why boomerangs? I need to know, why boomerangs? And, you know, Digger makes it very clear. He says, you know, they're cheap to make and they're loyal as hell. They always come back. And so as they're, you know, going along, having a grand old time just drinking together, uh, Donald, you know, again, man mentions, hey, have, are you playing on Cedar before you, you know, before we do this? And Digger is just like, why, why would I? And then all of a sudden, boom, music stops, Hammerfang busts in with armed thugs. And this... 
is not quite what they think it is. This is they weren't found out or anything, but this is retribution for the stunt that Digger pulled at the party. Somehow he found out that they were there and they proceed to give Digger the smackdown of his life. Uh, they are there to send a message, not to mess with them or their affairs. Digger gets the absolute crack beat out of him, and as they're going to leave, Hammerfang looks to Donald and he says, leave town by tomorrow or you're dead. And he leaves. And so they're gone, they've sent their message, Digger has been kicked and left for dead, and after the Weavers leave, Digger is pissed. Because he feels like he's been embarrassed, Donald is like, my life is done here, my life is over in this town, and at that moment... Jack shows up, having presumably come from making sure that their preparations are done. Immediately, Digger and Donnell are blaming Jack for, you know, you sold us out, you betrayed us like you did when we were kids. Cassie comes to his defense, Maybelline comes to his defense, everyone is just shouting at each other. The argument escalates, Digger starts pointing the finger at Donnell for putting this you know, for putting this crackpot team together. Donald is blaming Digger for ruining his life again, and he finally reveals that, you know, Digger abandoned Donald 10 years ago. He didn't just leave because he wanted to. They had had a botched robbery, a botched job that was that ended up being their last job as thieves, at least for Donald. And after the uh, robbery went sideways, Digger abandoned Donald. He abandoned him to be... Uh, thrown to the wolves and he ran off to America and he's been living his life while Donald has had to deal with the consequences and you know Digger is like I didn't you know I didn't do nothing to you I lived my life you lived your life and Donald says you know yeah well it'd be a lot easier to live my life if I didn't have to take care of your son you could hear a pin drop Digger's eyes go wide and for the first time he's hearing, Owen is Digger's son. Deer left. Cassie never told him they had been former lovers. Never told him that she was with child. And since he hasn't communicated with anybody from Kurumbura in over 10 years, he had no idea. And so... At this moment, you know, he is overwhelmed with this information. He doesn't know how to handle this. Digger calls off the heist. He's like, this is done. We're burned. Like, I'm out of here. And everyone just kind of is left as Digger, like, heads out. We cut to the night. Uh, later on that night, Digger arrives at a small house. Digger is, like, shuffling through the streets, you know, bruised up, bleeding. And he arrives at this small house on the outskirts of town in little suburbs and knocks on the door door opens and we see this you know this younger woman in scrubs and she's obviously like a caregiver and he's like you know hey i'm, I'm here, here to see her and caregiver you know lets him in and you know she says you know she kind of goes in and out sometimes doesn't have much she's she's sick she doesn't have much time left and as Digger comes into this room, we see this older woman laying in this bed. And we see 
adorned on the walls. We see records, we see posters. There's one poster that is the exact same poster that Digger had in his cell. And so we get the feeling, because throughout this we've seen uh, Digger with his with his Discman, the same Discman that he had when he was a kid, you know, headphones and everything, listening to stuff like Sinatra, like Dean Martin, like all of this old school uh, jazz and also a little bit of Chuck Berry in there, some old school rock and roll. And it is, you know, kind of revealed here that this is his mom and that he got his taste in music from her. And so she is, you know, she's watching TV and she kind of looks at him and it takes her a moment to recognize Digger. And at this very moment, there's this pause and she lays into him. She calls him a failure. She says, you know, you ruined your brother's life. You've ruined everything you touch. If your father was here, he would be, he would be ashamed of you she says you know i'd wish you'd rather die than shame the family and she says something that cuts straight to his core and she says you'll never amount to anything no one will ever remember you and there's this just silence hanging in the air to them argue a little bit where you know he's you know you were never mother of the year you like abandoned us and like all of this just terrible stuff that they're kind of unloading on each other and then finally she hits him with you know Kurumbura is never going to respect you you are never going to be known as anything more than a gimmick cut to digger leaving the house in a hurry with this determined look on his face Meanwhile, back at the apartment, uh, Donald and Cassie have a heart-to-heart. They talk about, you know, the past 10 years. They talk about their friendship. They talk about their lives. And they reveal their feelings to each other. That, yes, they have lived together. They have been taking care of Donald. Donald see, or uh, Owen sees Donald more of as more of his father than he ever would see Digger for a multitude of reasons. And as they are about to have this really sweet moment they lean in to kiss digger busts through the door he says the heist is back on we are going to rob the weavers this is going to be a big deal we are going to let people know that the weavers are not untouchable and i will not die a nobody and he says they're going to pull this job off and regardless of you know how they feel about each other they can work together for one day and after that they'll go their separate ways they'll never see each other again And that ends Act 2. The heist is on. Act 3. That's life. So as we head into the final act here, we have our second chance. The heist is back on. We are making this happen. And as the sun rises in the sleepy town of Korumbura, we have 12 hours to reunite the team. The first person they go to is William Talkman. They gotta get Clock King back on board, and immediately Talkman is like, yeah, let's do it. And everyone's kind of taken aback by this, and Talkman is like, I am a known criminal in a foreign country currently registered on the no-fly list. Where am I going to go? I really want him to have that, like, I don't know, like, kind of like a David Desmalchian style, but very, like, 
Frank, almost, um, what is it, almost Dwight from The Office style. That's how I kind of picture Clock King, at least this version of Clock King. Digger is able to, or Cassie, is able to bring May back in. Uh, he reunites with May, convinces her, uh, brings her back, and finally, Digger and Donald go to find Jack. They head over to the Borough Brew, where we get this nice little gag. As soon as they walk in, the bartender, like, sees Digger, reaches down, pulls out a shotgun, <laughs> and Donald's like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. We're not here for trouble. And as they kind of sit down next to Jack at the bar, they talk to him, they um, they mention the open, you know, that opening heist that they had when they were kids where they essentially betrayed each other. And Jack says to him, you know, I never forgave you. And Digger's like, you and everybody else. But Jack says, I wouldn't give you up. I learned. You need people. And Digger's like, I mean, you don't need people, but it's good to have people. And Donald kind of like sends Digger away because Digger isn't helping. And Donald extends the olive branch. He says, you know, one last big score for old time's sake. And Jack is back on board. Cut to six hours till game time. So we've got a new plan. We've got new rules. Now that Hammer Fang has essentially gone after Digger after the fiasco at the party for the Central City of Bolts, stricter security, and now they need a direct line into the security system for Talkman to hack. Security measures have been upped. Talkman can't hack from the outside. They need a direct line. They need to attach this hacking device into the security system. Digger calls an audible in this you know he's you know bringing everybody together we've got that classic like everybody standing around the table and you know cassie says they'll be expecting us they're they know that we're going to be coming and digger grins and he's like so let's give them what they want i i'm trying guys uh so we get this final like everything's prepped everybody's heading out to where they're going to go the teams are getting ready to separate. Cassie and Donald share their first kiss as they are separating. And it's this great moment. You know, they say, you know, good luck. She says, you know, we don't need luck. We're too good for that. And luck is for losers. And they kiss. It's great. It's a great little moment. Um, Digger, you know, slides a boomerang into May's pocket with a wink. Like, just a total scumbag. Just, it's it's gross. And then we, you know, we get this cute moment. We get this kind of cute, kind of gross moment. And then we, you know, turn to Talkman and Jack kind of standing there watching this happen. And Talkman straight up just looks over at Jack and he says, I will not be kissing you. And... <laughs> And so with that, heist begins. Here we go. It's heist time. So as the game starts, game is going at the basketball arena. Security stretched thin between the basketball stadium and the casino. Two teams. We have our two teams ready to go. Cassie and May are now the underground team, where Jack and Digger are now the floor team. So the floor team arrives at the casino. Uh, Jack is able to swipe a key card for them. So they swipe the first key card. They get past the first of the three checkpoints before the palm print. And as they get through there, Jack pulls a gun on Digger. He grins. He says, you had to know. You had to know this was coming. Digger is visibly upset. And... 
at that moment, guards come in. Jack gives Digger up to the Weavers. At this moment, the underground team arrives. Cassie and May navigate their way through the tunnels to the breaching point. They begin to set their charges. But this seems to be more charges than they were initially going to put. So we cut back over to the main office. Digger is brought in, you know, dragged in essentially by these guards alongside Jack, who is, you know, walking next to them. Brought into the main office where we see Daddy Longlegs and Hammerfang. They're taunting Digger. They're like, you know, you didn't really think that this was going to work, blah, blah, blah. And at that moment, Jack's like, am I getting paid? Am I getting, you know, what's owed to me? And at that moment, you know, Hammerfang's like, Oh yeah, you'll you'll get what's owed to you. You'll get what's coming to you. Get him out of here. And the guards like kind of push Jack away and Jack and Digger exchange this tense look as Jack gets pulled into the hallway. And as, you know, Digger is handcuffed, he's, you know, pushed down into like kneeling on the floor, handcuffed, Hammerfang just starts wailing on Digger while he's taunting him. Out in the hallway, Jack is led through the second security checkpoint by these thugs, and in the blink of an eye, Jack starts evading the thugs, escapes their grip on him, knocks them out with some sick parkour skills, and makes his way through the security checkpoint. We get some acrobatics, some parkour moves with him moving through these hallways to the main security room busts in through the door, takes out the three guards that are in there by surprise, and installs the device. Talkman is in. Click, 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 click. You, you have to have it. I'm in. You know, it's, 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 you have to have it. It's a heist movie. What do you want from me? So, Talkman is in. He has control of security cams, has control of the system, and as we, you know, cut back to Jack, Jack is examining the three guards and he sees that one of the guards has a real nice watch and Jack's eyes light up. Back in the office, uh, Hammerfang is continuing to beat on Digger. Just absolutely just kicking the shit out of this guy because he's handcuffed and he can't do anything and Hammerfang is a little bitch. Uh, During this beatdown, Daddy Longlegs walks over with his cane and he kind of reaches into... Uh, Digger's jacket, and he's like, Captain Boomerang. Takes one of the boomerangs, and he's like, you couldn't hack it as a real criminal, so you had to be a gimmick. And he puts the boomerang in his pocket, and he's continuing to taunt him as Hammerfang continues to beat on him. And as he's doing that, Daddy Longlegs starts to reference his history with Digger, as it's revealed that the man who stepped out of the limo from the opening scene was that Daddy Longlegs, coming into the town for the first time. And ever since that heist, ever since he stole those gold bars, Digger and Donald have el- had eluded the Weavers, for years, because they didn't have the foothold in Corumbra that they do now. But as the years got went on, as the Weavers started to gain control of the town, Digger and Donald became more desperate, because they didn't have the backing of their crew, they were working two-man jobs, and at a certain point, Digger got too ambitious. So ten years ago, they tried to steal from the Weavers. Big dust-up, botched robbery. The robbery that Donald referenced earlier in their argument, Digger screwed it up, they got caught. And with the two of them brought into separate rooms, 
Daddy Longlegs gives Digger a choice. He said, You have a choice here. You can leave town forever, not come back, or I'm going to kill your brother. And so that's, it's revealed to the audience why he hasn't returned since. And that Digger essentially left town to protect Donald. As, you know, Daddy Longlegs is uh, recounting this, he says, you know, Digger, you're a corrupting influence on this town. You know, you're a corrupting influence on your brother. You're a corrupting influence on the people here. The people. People that I control. Since you left, since you stopped your campaign of chaos in the town, the Weavers have had an iron grip on this town. The Weavers own this town. We own everything that goes on in it. You know, and everyone sees them as untouchable. And the closest that they ever got to having any other view was when Digger was around. You know, being a big old thorn in their side. And when he came back, they knew they had to do something about it. So, the Weavers put in an anonymous tip to the FBI, who have been looking for Digger since he escaped from... Uh, from Iron Heights, and he says, you know, they should be here, and he checks his watch, within the hour. Digger is going to be made an example of, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be victimized, and he is going to be offered up to the FBI on a silver platter, and they're, you know, that's going to be the end of it. And Digger kind of smirks, and he says, you know, might be a problem with that, mate. At that exact moment, the room shakes. There's a rumble from an explosion deeper into the building. At that moment, you know, Daddy Longlegs and Hammerfang are taken back, and they look at each other, they're like, what was that? And Digger reveals the plan. Digger was sent in as a distraction. They want us, they can have us. Team 2, the underground team, was sent, and as Digger is explaining this, you know, Team 2 was sent to uh, detonate the tunnel underneath the vault room. And he says, you know, you know, cracking that vault would take too long, so we decided to just take the vault. Daddy Longlegs and Hammerfang check the camera feed. Uh, the vault room and the corridor are filled with smoke. That palm print room is just filled with smoke. Cameras can't see anything. Cameras heading up to that room are down due, the, due to the explosion. Donald's role is now revealed as a news report on one of the on one of the TVs in the room. Uh, reveals that Donald's role was to hook up the vault to the truck, rest the team pile in the truck, and as they are seeing it, Donald is driving his truck through the streets of Corumbura with the vault hitched on the back. Daddy Longlegs just goes ballistic. He tells Hammerfang to get that vault back. Hammerfang takes, you know, he says, you know, take everyone. I want that vault and I want it now. So Hammerfang takes all the remaining security that were already stretched thin from the building, gets them in cars to go after Donald. And after, as, you know, they're all getting out to pursue Donald and Donald and the rest of the team in the truck. Daddy Longlegs pulls a gun out on Digger, and he says, you know, fuck the FBI. You're a dead man. And Digger looks up at him, and still smirking, then reveals he holds up his hands, he's picked the lock on his cuffs, smiles, and he lunges at Daddy Longlegs, which brings us to the chase. Classic heist car chase, high-speed chase through the streets of Corumbura. Very, uh, and I just, 
I ripped this off straight from Fast and Furious. Uh, Fast and Furious style vault shenanigans. Realism at this point is out the window. We've got this truck. The vault is attached to it. They are just driving throughout the streets. Uh, Hammerfang has five cars pursuing him. And through different vault shenanigans, you know, sharp turns to make the vault topple into a building or topple into a car. Um, eventually, the cars are whittled down to just him and then Donald's truck with the vault. Meanwhile, back in the office, uh, Daddy Longlegs and Digger are just kicking the absolute shit out of each other. They are brawling. And the thing about Daddy Longlegs is he's old, but he's big. He is a big old man. He is a giant of a man. And Digger is not a skilled brawler. He is skilled with boomerangs, and he has invested his time into that, and that is what he is about. And so the two of them are just beating the crap out of each other, but Digger is absolutely fighting from underneath. At a certain point during the fight, they're distracted by another smaller rumble that stops them both. Daddy Longlegs basically picks up, Digger throws him across the room, then checks in with the security room. He says, you know, oh, does anyone know what that was? Does anyone know what happened there? And the security radios back, you know, just residual explosives to cover their escape, sir. All clear here. So Daddy Longlegs turns back to Digger and he says, you know, I don't get it. You never knew when to quit. And now look at you. I'm going to kill you with my bare hands. And after I finish you, I'm going after everyone you care about. And everyone that cares for you. And Digger looks up at him and he's like, that's a real short list. And then they start beating the crap out of each other again. Back with the car chase. Car chase ends, you know, near the center of the town. In the poorest area near where the uh, limo was initially stopped in the opening scene. And at that point, Donald releases the class or the hitch on the vault. The vault topples into Hammerfang's car. Hammerfang gets out just in the nick of time as Donald speeds off into the night. Hammerfang, you know, recovers, gets himself up, walks over to the vault. As he's doing that, he sees these, you know, these urchin kids, much like, uh, Digger, Donald, Jack, and Cassie were when they were younger, uh, just kind of crowding around the vault. They're like, oh my god. And he is just like slapping them left and right, shoving them aside, kicking them, just being an all-around douche canoe. And as he gets to the vault, he, you know, puts his hand on it. He's satisfied. He's like, I got my vault back. Meanwhile, uh, Daddy Longlegs picks up Digger, throws him across the room into his desk, Digger hits the desk with a thud. You can feel at least one vertebrae in his backslip. He's just, he is in a bad way. And as he's kind of like slumped against the desk, Daddy Longlegs reaches down and he picks up the gun again. And he goes to point it at, uh, at Digger and Digger starts laughing. Initially, Daddy Longlegs is laughing and as Digger starts to laugh, he kind of pauses and he's like what are you laughing about and digger at that moment reveals his plan this has all been one big misdirect and he reveals that the vault that donald hauled away was actually the spare vault that digger had acquired to practice on in the warehouse at that moment hammerfang opens up the vault to find that it's empty and at that exact moment, a kid shivs him in the leg. One of the kids that he kicked shivs him in the leg. Hammerfang is surprised by this, and the kids all shove Hammerfang into the open vault and shut the door on him. 
as Digger is explaining this, he says, you know, right now the team's on the way to uh, Rendezvous Point to meet with me. And as we pan out from the uh, from the main office down the hallway, uh, Digger reveals that Jack was in on it too, of course. We as the audience know, but he says, you know, Jack went ahead, opened all the doors of the vault except the handprint, which he has, which Digger has. And then he doubled back to join up with the team to the rendezvous point. Talkman hacked into cams and hacked into the security feed. So when it's revealed that uh, we get a quick flash to uh, when Daddy Longlegs radioed into to security, and we get a quick shot of Talkman sitting at the uh, sitting at the computer, just going like, you know, residual explosives to cover their escape. It was actually Talkman's voice. And with all the chaos in the streets going on, security is nowhere to be seen. It's just the two of them in this back area of the vault, of the uh, of of the uh, back area of the casino. He's got the vault to himself, and the plan was for Digger to somehow get past Daddy Longlegs by any means necessary, get to the vault, get the money, and meet up with the team. But Digger isn't going to meet up with the team. He's taking the money for himself and for Maybelline. He'll give her a small cut. And he's been working with her from the beginning. He's already arranged for passage back to the U.S. By a, via, via a boat that is waiting for him in the harbor. As soon as he's done here, he's leaving this casino, getting to the boat, and escaping with all the money. And as... You know, Daddy Longlegs is staring at him. He's just—he's still got the gun trained on him, and he's like, "Why would you betray your entire team?" And Digger says he wants the recognition for the heist, all for himself. He says, "This town will never forget me." Daddy Longlegs laughs, and he says, "You know, Digger is—you are just as despicable as I am, and you're just as despicable as everyone has ever said." And Digger kind of shrugs as he unsheathes one last boomerang from his jacket. And the two of them have a standoff. They're staring at each other. You know, we get this, you know, great, like, almost Tarantino-style shot of the two of them from across this large office room. Um, very Kingpin-style, where Digger has his boomerang ready. Daddy Longlegs has the gun trained on him. And uh, Daddy Longlegs says... You think you can sh- you can get a boomerang to me before I shoot you? And Digger says with a smirk, I already did. As he pulls out from his from his other jacket pocket a detonator. And at that moment, Daddy Longlegs remembers the boomerang that he picked off of Digger's body earlier, looks down and sees the boomerang in his pocket with a little red light on it. And Boomerang looks right at him. Full on like, Tarantino zoom into Daddy Longlegs' face. Tarantino zoom into uh, to Digger's face and he goes, Boomerang, mate. Digger presses the detonator, tumbles backwards over the desk. The Boomerang explodes, taking Daddy Longlegs with him. After the dust settles, a couple you know, minutes pass, Digger kind of picks himself up he's still hurting he he had definitely taken taken a beating throughout all this and he you know kind of dusts himself off (sighs) sheaths his last boomerang and kind of saunters out of the room 
down the security corridor. Little, you know, he's swaggering down almost, you know, Jack Sparrow style, you know, swaggering down the hallway, humming That's Life by Frank Sinatra. And it's this single, I visualize it in my mind, it's this single shot of him getting up from the office, making his way out of the office, down the hallway, through two uh, security points. Just the two of the, you know, just following him along, seeing the doors that Jack opened for him. He gets over to the... Uh, to the last corridor, walks past the palm print scanner. Wait. Walks past the palm print scanner. He pauses. And he looks over. Palm print scanner hasn't been used. He still has the palm print on him. But the door's been blasted open. And he looks over at the vault. And the vault door is ajar. Digger slowly approaches the vault. Uh, heaves it open, finds it empty, except for a note sitting on the middle table with the boomerang that he had slid into Maybelline's pocket, stabbed into it. Which is where we get the big reveal. Digger walks over to the uh, to the note, picks the boomerang off. She's at, opens up the note. And it's from Donald. And he says that, you know, he reveals... Dear Digger. Not gonna do it. Uh, he's, you know, he reveals that he knew Digger would double-cross them. Because in their prep on their way to getting things together, May came clean to the team about Digger's ulterior plan that he had shared with her. And he noted that she said, Owner among thieves, apparently, is the reason that she gave... We had a flashback to Donald getting Jack at the bar where Digger, you know, threw his hands up in the air and he walked away and Donald, you know, filling Jack in on the, uh, on the process. Talkman being convinced by Cassie and Talkman hacking into Digger's itinerary and finding the, uh, the back deal for the boat to get off of, you know, to get out of the country and back to the U.S., and the note continues, you know, you never trusted anybody. That's what made us different. And there was a third plan beneath the second plan as we get flashbacks. So we get a full-on explanation of how this happened. So the first detonation that we saw go off was to get into the vault room. In the vault room, Cassie breaks into the vault and we get a quick flashback to her watching Digger make his way and working on the vault and how to open it and she was watching him the whole time. Her pickpocket skills, her lockpicking skills were the equal to Digger's. As they clean out the vault, duffel bags, the whole deal, May blows off the door to the palm print where they meet Jack with three uniforms from the security guards stolen from the unconscious guards in the security room. And he's, you know, wearing the gold watch that he lifted off of one of the unconscious guards. And so at that moment, uh, Daddy Longlegs radios in, and we show, you know, Talkman responding, you know, just, he's, you know, just more explosives covering their escape. And so we cut back to Cassie, May, and Jack, in security uniforms, leaving through the front door, where 
Donald pulls up with the truck having just let the vault go and everyone piles in the truck, drives off. As this whole thing is going on, as it's, you know, explaining to him, Digger is wandering back into the main office with the note uh, where he looks up and he sees that the same TV that was broadcasting the news report earlier is now showing the FBI closing in on the casino. Uh, We get a quick shot to the remaining crew back at the warehouse. Everyone, minus Digger, uh, evenly separating the money. Everyone gets their cut. Everyone goes their separate ways. But as they're going, Talkman hands Donald and Cassie an envelope. And for the last, as Digger kind of sits down in the chair, you know, he sets the chair back up, sits down in it. Uh, The last line of the letter reads, You wanted it all to yourself, so here you go. Enjoy your big score. And right at that moment, the FBI busts in. Digger hears from the the news report saying, you know, U.S. authorities are closing in on infamous super criminal and thief, Cornborough's own George Digger Harkness. Digger smirks as the FBI, you know, tackles him. Uh, We get a quick shot of Donald, Cassie, and Owen with bags packed getting on the boat that Digger had booked. The envelope that uh, Talkman gave them was the money and the passage to get them out of the country. They're heading back to the U.S. to find a better life. Uh, As they are on the boat, we see Owen practicing with a little boomerang that Digger had carved out for him. And... Donald kind of gives Cassie a look and Cassie just kind of shrugs and as we cut back to the final sequence of the story Digger is led out of the casino by the authorities cameras people crowded around a lot of people have left the game this isn't the big story now it's this incredible heist and chaos that's been going on the street and as you know, Digger is being led out by the authorities. They pass by the reporter who is on the scene, and he hears her say, you know, with only one arrest and millions of dollars missing, some are calling this the greatest heist in the history of our country. And this incident will be forever linked to the man who calls himself Captain Boomerang. Digger grins, and as he's pushed into the police van, he sits down and he starts laughing and laughing as the lights, you know, as the uh, red and blue lights are, you know, reflecting onto his face. He's laughing. The doors shut on him. And as the truck drives off into the distance, we get the last text on the screen that says, Boomer's Big score I'd jump right on a big bird and then I'd fly Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, nothing was more heart-wrenching, nothing, you know, really 
stuck in my mind for days quite like Spider-Man Life Story Annual Number 1. Um, there were a bunch of great books last week, but this one I was still thinking about for at least days after I read it. It was fantastic. There's a reason that I love this book. There's a reason that I cried in the episode that I did covering the initial Life Story miniseries. Go back to the archives, check it out. Um, but this was great. I've been really wanting a J. Jonah Jameson focus story and with the confines of the original series they didn't really give us a whole lot of time to be able to do that so getting to see how Jonah's life changed throughout the years and the decades in the life story universe was really fascinating it was heart-wrenching and I absolutely loved it there's a reason why this book works but that's last week's books let's take a look back at this week's book so here's the thing DC Comics has been really freaking weird with their solicits. The last couple weeks, I've been counting down certain books that I would then go to my LCS and then they wouldn't be there. You know, Blue and Gold, we've been waiting for it to show up for like a month at this point. Blue and Gold number two still hasn't hit stands. Um, it's supposed to hit next week according to solicits, but that's a, that's a problem for next week, Eric. But I am really not sure what the heck is going on with DC Comics. I know with their whole, you know, them not being with Diamond anymore, and now Marvel might be moving away from Diamond. Diamond might be dead. Who knows what's going on with that? But this has got to stop because we need to know what books we're getting. And I am getting a little annoyed that I keep showing up and looking like an idiot because I'm asking for a book that hasn't even been shipped yet so hopefully starting this week going forward we're going to see that turn around otherwise I am not going to be a happy camper so that being said we are supposed to get Infinite Frontier number 5 Wonder Girl number 3 and Teen Titans Academy number 6 coming this week um all three of these books were supposed to come out the last two weeks but they've been pushed here so those three books you can expect to come out, as well as five other books that I want to talk about real quick. Uh, we're back in single digits still, which is um, interesting to me, but who knows? I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that these books will be on the shelf when I go into the shop this week, but we will just have to find out. So we're going to kick off the list proper with the Aquaman 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular number one. This is written by many people with art by many people, and I am... I'm interested in this. Aquaman has never been my cup of tea, but good brother Kanan, who has been on the podcast a couple times, longtime friend of the podcast, uh, he is the biggest Aquaman stan I've ever met in my entire life. So I know he's going to be a happy camper when uh, he reads this book, and I'm excited for him. So I'm interested to dive back in, uh, no pun intended, uh, with some Aquaman stories. I've been staying away from him because, again, it's, it's just not my cup of tea, and I'm waiting for my boy Calderam slash Jackson Hyde. Uh, to take the reins upcoming soon, but who knows? Uh, I'm excited to check out this book. Let's dive into the synopsis here. After defending the seven seas for eight decades, it's time to throw Aquaman a party. 
This all-star filled anthology spans across the Ocean King's legacy, not just celebrating his own triumphs, but also those of his greatest allies and enemies. We look at his ongoing romance with Mera, his bitter rivalry with Black Manta, his brotherly conflict with Ocean Master, and the inspiration he lends to younger heroes like Tempest and Jackson Hyde, the newest Aqualad. It would not be an Aquaman celebration without also looking at how he's changed over the years, including a brand new tale of Bombshells Aquaman. This special brings together Aqua talent past, present, and future, including reuniting fan-favorite creative teams such as Jeff Johns and Paul Pelletier, Dan Jurgens and Steve Epting, alongside Dan Waters and Miguel Mendonca. Plus, two of the stories are prequels to two new Aquaman miniseries launching in September, kicking off another 80 years of undersea adventure. Um, yeah, this sounds rad, so I'm looking forward to picking it up. We'll see how it goes. Next up, we have Batman Superman 2021 Annual Number 1. We are in the final stage of this uh, Jean Lun Yang era of Batman Superman comics, and I'm sad. But uh, this annual sounds pretty cool. The cover is really interesting to look at. It's uh, written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Paul Pelletier and uh, Francesco Francavia. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The epic epilogue to the Archive of Worlds saga. In his pursuit of perfection, the godlike Artur.io sought to create and destroy worlds with a wave of a hand and a flare for the dramatic. But against all odds, the world of the night and the world of tomorrow live on. The Batman of the noir-tinged streets of Gotham City finds himself stranded in the sunny, retro-futurist world of tomorrow, and Superman discovers himself in the opposite predicament. With their home worlds in decay and only one chance to save them, the key to preserving their very existence is but the flip of a coin, or the flip of this book. This special flip book is two times the story, with one full comic on one side and one full comic on the other, meeting in the middle. Follow Superman's journey on one side of this epic flip book annual, and turn the adventure over to crusade with the Batman and his trusty sidekick, Robin. So... That sounds cool. I really dug the first issue of this run where um, it was two dueling stories that kind of met in the middle at the end of the issue. So I'm excited to see how they wrap this up. I'm glad they went back to this gimmick. I'm, I'm a fan of gimmicks. If this episode tells you anything, I am a fan of dumb gimmicks. So I am very, very much looking forward to this. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Batman Fear State Alpha number one. This is written by James Tynan in the fourth with art by Ricardo Federici. And this is the beginning of the Fear State event. Uh, it's been lead into this. Batman has been dealing with the Scarecrow working in the background, with the Peacemakers on the rise. We've got uh, Miracle Molly. All kinds of ridiculousness is going on, and this is going to be the uh, the end game of James Tynan's run on Batman, which is sad because again, I've been really enjoying it. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they pull out here. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Here. The event over a year in the making begins. Fear State settles upon Gotham City, and no one is safe. 
overwhelmed by the dual threat of the Scarecrow and Peacekeeper 01. Batman and his allies have been one step behind since the events of Infinite Frontier number 0. And with the arrival of a mysterious anti-oracle and the return of Poison Ivy, Batman might have more than he can handle. Uh, yeah, that sounds dope. Um, Poison Ivy's back. Poison Ivy has not been a mainstay in Batman books since Heroes in Crisis happened. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with her, what they do with the characters, um, and how this is all going to shake out. I'm really, really interested to see what they do. Next up, we have Firepower, number 15, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney and Matt Wilson. Uh, this book has been phenomenal, and I I wasn't sure what direction they were going to go after the uh, fire war or the flame war uh, ended, but I've been really digging all the serpents omen stuff. So really, really cool. Of course, the art is gorgeous, and I'm very curious to see where uh, Owen Johnson gets pulled next. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The serpent's omen takes hold. Owen has no choice but to fight back. Will the firepower be enough? Short, sweet, to the point. Um, the cover is dope. I love this Somni art. So cool. Uh, this is going to be a good one. Can't wait. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is... Dark Ages number one. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Ivan Coelho. And uh, this is the big uh, Tom Taylor Marvel event that they have been pushing for a while that they kind of forgot about for a bit and then all of a sudden remembered and now we have Dark Ages. Uh, that being said, I am very interested to see what they do with this. There's been a lot of uh, teases, a lot of like steampunky stuff, you know how much I love steampunky stuff. And, you know, with all of the Tom Taylor alternate universe stories going on, uh, I'm really excited to see what he brings to the Marvel side of things. So let's go ahead and check out the synopsis here this is what the watcher has been watching for a danger older than the earth threatens everything for once the heroes who have saved the planet so many times are almost powerless in the face of it x-men and avengers assemble spider people and fantastic four come together Heroes for Hire fight alongside champions. None of it will be enough. The lights are about to go out. The world outside our window is about to end. Ominous. Ominous. Um, like I said, really looking forward to this. Uh, everything that Tom Taylor touches is gold, so I can't wait to pick this up. But that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Infinite Frontier number 5, Wonder Girl number 3, Teen Titans Academy number 6, Aquaman 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular number 1, Batman Superman 2021 Annual number 1, Batman Fear State Alpha number 1, Firepower number 15, and Dark Ages number 1. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcast algorithm space, kind of raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast, and you can join the likes of our almost dirty dozen, including Seafire ND, Matt Draper, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, and A-Lock and A-Z. want to say a big thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to write into the podcast, if you have a question for me, you want to get a quick pitch like this, like a mini version like this episode, but like a tiny one, um, if you want to get my thoughts on something, or if you want to get maybe some recommendations on comics that I haven't covered on the podcast, you can write into me, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read and address your letters here on the podcast. I love getting emails from you guys. It makes my entire week when I get a fresh new email from you, and um, it's just fun to be able to talk to you guys. The whole reason I started this podcast was so that I could have conversations with uh, geeks like myself and like yourself. So again, if you want to write in, want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here. Finally, if you would like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or if you just want to shoot the shit on the latest geeky news, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P-O-D. Um, I am more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram, but I am actively working on uh, changing that and trying to be active on both. But if you do want to keep up to date with me, keep up to date with uh, the podcast, uh, I let everybody know on Twitter that this week's episode was going to be late on Twitter. So if you want to keep up with me, if you're a regular listener and you're like, whoa, where's the Geek Explained episode on Wednesday. Uh, you will be in the know if you follow us on Twitter. So feel free to do that once again at Geeksplained Pod. So that is going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed my pitch for Boomer's Big Score. Captain Boomerang has always been a sentimental favorite of mine, as if you didn't know if you <laughs> have listened to this podcast for any stretch of time um and i've also been a huge fan of heist movies it's one of my favorite movie genres and kind of smashing them together was really fun so hope you enjoyed it if you have an idea for another pitch that you'd like me to do i've got a couple on the uh on the chalkboard right now um i know our good brother aaron arancha has been waiting for me to do a pitch for batman beyond it it is coming i promise but um yeah if you want to let me know if you would like to see me pitch something else feel free to reach out whether it's through email whether it's through social media i will take it into consideration and i'll put it on the list but uh thank you so much to everyone who's been listening up to this point episode 175 is crazy to me 175 five episodes of this i can't thank you enough for being with me on this ride whether you're from the 
from the episode one, whether you hopped on at some other point between, it really means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen to me ramble for an hour to two hours to three hours, <laughs> depending on uh, how long the episode is that week. And uh, yeah, we're officially on the March to 200. 25 episodes from now, we're, we will be celebrating 200 episodes of the podcast. And it's a pretty, I've already got it in my mind what, uh, what that episode 200 is going to be so i can't wait to get there and i really appreciate all of you giving me your support to get there so thank you once again for everyone who listens to me each week and it really it honestly does mean the world and i really do truly appreciate you so thank you so much that is going to do it for this week's episode uh tune in next week for episode 176 uh probably gonna be a review of shang chi because i am just over the moon and i can't wait to see this movie but we will see um you'll know again if you want to follow me on twitter i drop what the episode is going to be usually on mondays or tuesdays of the week so look forward to that check us out there and i will see you right back here next week same geek nope different geek time same geek channel because it should be uh coming up on wednesday like usual thank you again for your patience as well for uh letting me drop this a day late uh but yeah as for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening thank you so much for getting us to 175 episodes stay safe and we will see you next time
Plus, two of the stories are prequels. <laughs> what was that? <laughs>